Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 17th July 2014. Have a listen please. Sairam dear listeners, it is time again when we will drink deep into the nectarous and sweet story of Lord Shri Rama, the Ramakatha Rasavahini as narrated by Lord Shri Rama in his Lord Sai Rama form. As always dear listeners, we offer our salutations at the lotus feet of our Bhagwan and offer our salutations to Hanuman who is ever present during the Ramakatha Parayana and begin this session remembering the sweet name and beautiful form of Lord Rama. श्रीराघवम् दशरथात्मजमप्रमेयम् सीतापतिम् रघुकुलान्मयरत्नदीपम् आजानुबाहुं अरविंददलायताक्षम्
Welcome back dear listeners and the Ramakatha is what we are going to be talking about today. In the Ramakatha Rasavahini, Lord Sri Rama and Lakshmana, his brother, are with their Guru Vishwamitra. It is such a beautiful thought to mull upon and Guru Purnima feels so special because the first ever message that the Satya Sai Avatar delivered to mankind was relating to the Guru. In fact, Swami said, Manasa Bhajare Guru Charanam. O mind, concentrate on the lotus feet of the Guru and that will help you to cross this ocean of samsara. I remember an incident, you know, when a student had asked Swami as to what is the best relationship one can have with Swami. Mm -hmm. And the answer that Swami gave him was that the best relationship is of that between a guru and a shishya. Because every other relationship like that between a mother and a child or between say a father and a child, between friends, everything is based on some kind of expectation. It is only a guru-shishya relationship which is based on zero expectation and therefore it is the purest form of relationship that one can have with God. So, it is with such thoughts that we begin this week's satsang as well as the Ramakatha Rasavahini that we are fortunate to have as our Guru, the Supreme Lord. You know, just one more thought here. Uh, there is that famous shloka which says, Acharya Devo Bhava, that is treat your Guru, your teacher as God. How lucky we are, Prem, that for us it is Devaha Acharyo Bhava, that is God has become our teacher. Instead of we having to treat teacher as God, we have got God who has come to us as our teacher. It is indeed a great fortune for all of us dear listeners and it is in that celebratory mood that we begin the satsang. There is this wonderful story about the significance of a guru. There is this land of one particular town. In the edge of the town, there is a huge you know, mammoth wall, mm. which nobody knows what is there on the other side of the wall. Mm. It is never seen. It is a huge, tall wall. And everybody, generations and generations come and wonder what is there on the other side. Mm. So one day, one man you know, makes bold to climb the wall. He scales it all the way till the top of it, looks on the other side, and the whole crowd which is gathered there is wondering to know from him what is there on the other side. Mm. He looks at the other side and says, Ah! My God! He exclaims in all excitement and he jumps over, never to come back. Oh, okay. So the citizens of this land are still, you know, left with that mystery of what is there on the other side. And every few years, one man would make bold to climb that wall. But every time a man or a woman climbed that wall, you know, the same thing would repeat. He would, you know, squeal in excitement and jump over. When you say excitement, is it joyous it's or joyous, is it fear? Joyous and filled with surprise and excitement, you know, that oh, kind okay. of an excitement. So they were all even more curious. You know, what on earth is there on the other side? We never know. One fine day, one man scales, does the tough thing of climbing the whole wall, looks on the other side he also is excited and he's having that surprise on his face but he comes back down to tell the people of the land what is there on the other side. Hmm. And the analogy goes that... that oh, is what is on the other side? That person who comes down is the Guru. Oh, okay, okay. It is said that the man who sees the beauty of the other side but still comes back to tell what is there on the other side he is a Guru. But one fine day there was one man who came from the other side uh-huh. who never belonged to this land to tell them what was there on the other side. And I think that is the Yes, we all have. Yes, yes, Prem. Beautiful. What touched me over here was when you said that the person who climbs and sees the joy, the wonder, the bliss that is on the other side and yet is selfless enough to not dive into it completely. You know, often we have heard the masters say that the bliss that you get on realizing your union, your oneness with God is such that you lose interest in all other worldly desires and tastes. You lose taste for everything else. Everything else becomes so insipid after you having tasted that sweetness. Now, having seen that when he is able to be selfless enough to come back. That shows real selflessness of a realized soul and that is exactly the point even Vishwamitra makes at the point we are in the Ramayana. We are at that point of time in the Ramayana when Rama is 
having to face the demoness tataki the ogress tataki and rama asks vishwamitra the question that is where we ended the previous fortnight that oh sage oh guru tell me when agastya himself did not curse tataki to death because it would be wrong to kill a woman how do you expect me to kill the woman you know killing a woman is a grave sin so what follows next is a beautiful explanation from vishwamitra and i'm highlighting this because this point came up now one of the things that vishwamitra says is that rama listen i have nothing to gain from this world i have told you that i want you to protect my yagnas actually i have no interest in those yagnas because for a realized soul he is constantly trying to give up all attachments to the world right and therefore whether the world is prospering or going to dogs it does not matter to the realized soul because he is like the man on that wall who has seen and he just has to fall off doesn't matter what's happening on this side of the wall but what is the use of liberation when you are not able to inspire and enthuse others too along that path that re- redeeming path and therefore i have come back to society and having recognized your divinity i know who you are rama you know swami gives the example of how vishwamitra got deluded by maya that was just a momentary distraction that was possibly enacted to remind mankind of how careful we have to be but then vishwamitra knew the reality of rama and so vishwamitra says that you have come you know i know that you are going to kill tataki you know i know that and therefore like every other hermit and sage who has no interest in the world and yet appears to participate in the world you know like vashishta he is there as a minister one of the advisors counselors for for the king so all these people have no interest in the world actually but it is their selflessness that brings them to the world and so vishwamitra says that rama i have brought myself because i know that you are going to kill tataki and not only tataki many other ogres and demons and rakshasas and therefore it is just part of the divine plan there is nothing to worry about i mean killing a woman there are several other points that vishwamitra gives we shall discuss them soon but this is one of those points that he makes and i was reminded of this point because the analogy showed how men of god actually have nothing to gain from this world or nothing to lose because of the world and yet it is their selflessness and their compassion that they want others also to experience that oneness experiencing which nobody will have need for anything else and it is in that compassion that they come now when this can be called compassion just imagine the compassion of the person from the other side who travels all the way to this side to do so and that is the compassion of swami definitely and that is why we are all grateful and it is said it is a fortune you know to even have a guru mm. then what do we say about those of us like us to have a guru of this sort you know it's definitely special and uh, even going back to that dialogue between vishwamitra and lord rama where there's talk about bala ati bala you no know, it all is part of a master plan and where i feel sami was taking lessons from parts of it mm. if you look at the bigger picture here is somebody who has mastered the something like bala nati bala which gives you the power to conquer hunger to conquer tiredness that is how powerful that mantra can make you the person who has these mantras under his command he says i want you to come and protect it you know there is some amount of complex truth in this and i think that is what even valmiki is trying to put forth when he's giving this whole thing at the same time sami is trying to even give us lessons like how you should always be careful about the maya and even this dialogue between rama and vishwamitra which we are going to go into hmm. the various arguments which vishwamitra puts forth and we will know that rama never had to ask these questions but still he asked it because there is no point in the story if you and i cannot relate to it and draw messages for life from it correct and that is why dear listeners this ramkatha rasvani is so special because not just the story you know we all would think that it's after all ramayana and ramayana is something which we have born and brought up with we have heard it so many times but still this ramkatha rasvani is very special because of those nuances where swami 
Prem brings subtle incidents to bring very profound messages. Speaking of nuances, I am reminded Prem of that beautiful nuance that you brought forth the other day. Speaking about the kinds of gurus that one encounters in life, which is seen actually in the life of Lord Sri Rama also. I think this would be an apt time to recollect that beautiful right. thing. It comes from drawing an analogy from Rama being that Jivatma, you know, who is trying to reach the ultimate goal. Mm. And we spoke about Vasishta being that first guru. Because when you are first introduced to the truth, the fact that you are God and I am God is the truth. But to the uncultured mind, you know, that would be such a disastrous piece of information to give. Mm. Because you don't know what to do with that. You know, you are divine. So what am I to do? I mean, why am I eating food? Why am I doing this? Why am I going to school? What am I doing this for? You are it not, shakes you up. Right, it shakes you up and you are not able to put in context the many things which you are told to do for good reason. Mm. You don't There's no connect. connect between in all that. Correct. Huh. And the first guru who comes is to clear that confusion. Who says, yes, this is true, but this also is required. In and the sense like, if I am God, then, yeah, as you said, why should I eat? Why should I tell the truth? Because there's nothing else other than me. If I am the supreme being, anything I do and anything I say must be fine. That is a kind of right. complex that comes in. And that, in fact, will become a problem. And suppose you tell me that claim you're God, you are actually addressing my ego. And when I accept it, I'm accepting that this ego is God. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, it's not that when you remove the ego, you are God. So that is the confusion the first guru comes to clear. He says that yes, this is the knowledge but this knowledge has to be taken in, in a different way. It has to be decodified in a different way and that's why the Yoga Vasishta which Sage Vasishta gives is filled with stories mm. saying that how this has to be got through. You know, okay. it takes lifetimes of you know, going through that process to attain the maturity to understand this truth. So the first guru comes to calm the ruffled feathers right. and teach the discrimination in order to identify what it actually means by I am God, right. I am that. Exactly. Okay. Then then comes the second guru or the second aspect of the guru if you want to put it that way mm-hmm. that is Vishwamitra you know, when Vishwamitra comes to Dasharatha he says that I want to take your sons away to the forest to protect my yajna the first thing Dasharatha says is you know they are not keeping well they are not mm-hmm. fine there is something troubling them and they have not been in the best of their health mm-hmm. Vishwamitra says I don't care I want them you promise to send them with me you send them to me it is like you know there are sometimes when you go to Swami and say Swami I am having this many problems these are the issues Swami says just put it all aside and come and do what I am telling you to do mm-hmm. just keep quiet and do my work you know, that is the second aspect of the Guru. The Guru says, put aside all your confusions, put aside all your discrimination, come and do what I am telling you to do. Do my work. You know, that is the second aspect of the Guru and that comes even in this point where we are, where, you know, Vishwamitra explains why Tataki can be killed. Hmm. That is how you are supposed to obey the Guru. Don't discriminate when the Guru gives you a command. Mm-hmm. Use the discrimination only to do that command in the best way, not whether to do it or not. Okay. That implicit obedience. So, the second stage is when you implicitly obey your Guru and use your discrimination only to choose the best path to accomplish what the Guru has said, not to choose whether, whether to or do not. or not. Right. Okay. So that is the second aspect of the Guru and the third Guru in the Ramayana who comes in is King Janaka because as we have already spoken, Sita embodies that wisdom. Sita embodies that knowledge that the Atma is the God. So the finally the one who gives it is Janaka because when you say Kanyadhana, he is the one who gives Sita to Rama. Hmm. So he is that final Guru who gives you that ultimate wisdom and what does he do? He says, I don't care what you have read. I don't care what you have done, what you have followed, I will test you. Hmm. He says, here is the Shiva Zanush, lift it if you can, you know, string it if you can. And Swami has oftentimes in his discourse, he has said that bow actually symbolizes ego. Are you in total control of your ego? Hmm. And ego the, meaning body attachment. Right, body attachment. When you say you are in control, it's not that it's removed completely. Are you in control of it to make good use of it? Hmm. And when he knows that you are, then he gives you the knowledge. And that is the third aspect of the Guru who comes and tests you, whether you are prepared to receive that knowledge. In fact, as we shall see later on, Rama 
breaks the bow right you know he shatters dehabimanam in the subtle sense then and that's the beauty and there is that incident even in sacharitra where uh, you know dada sahib is reciting a sanskrit verse and shirdi baba asks him what are you reciting hmm. and he tells baba it's bhagavad gita so he says why don't you recite it loudly so he thinks that you know baba is after all a faki what does he know about bhagavad gita that's the thing running in his mind then baba says no problem you recite it loudly so uh, is that prashna and parikrashna yeah, prashna and parikrashna yes so that is a shloka actually that shloka speaks of these three aspects of the guru okay. he says pariprashnena sevaya and pranipata these are the three things you're supposed to do to a guru pariprashna is ask the right questions uh, just because we have narrated that incident yeah, you know i think you can complete it yeah. nice shirdi baba asks what is the difference between prashna and pariprashna why does krishna use the word pariprashna because dada sahib right you said right. because dada sahib uh, when he asks him what is the meaning he says it means to question so he says prashna also means to question pariprashna also means to question then why is he using that extra pari i mean to make it poetic you know in fact it actually makes it poetic right. it completes the meter but is that the only reason that is when shirdi baba explains the meaning of pariprashna he says pariprashna means to ask the question with the intense longing to know the answer right. and the longing is so intense that if you do not get the answer you will not be able to do anything else you can't eat you can't sleep you can't do anything because that question is haunting you with that intensity when you ask a question it's pariprashna simple prashna can be just to check out whether a person is knowledgeable enough and when you are trying to test your master and many times you ask questions to show your knowledge <laughs> exactly so those come under the category of prashna and that is when shirdi baba teaches that you have to approach a guru with pariprashna you should have the intense longing to know and the intense longing comes when you have yourself tried so many times and everything has gone futile but all that makes you more and more receptive to the answer that you are about to get right and that is what is pariprashna he says you know and i'm not sure whether it's dada sahib or nana sahib i think okay. it may be nana sahib and that is one thing he says pariprashna the second thing is sevaya you have to go and serve the master hmm. and then pranipata pranipata means is to surrender it means sashtang is called pranipata doing the sashtang pranam which is in other words surrender giving which up is the... nothing but giving up the ego so these are the three things you have to do to a guru pariprashna ask the so right pariprashna question. happens with vashishta, vashishta the yoga vashishta is a result right. of that sevaya happens with vishwamitra which we are right now discussing and then pranipatena happens in front of janaka wow and uh, maybe to just complete that incident where shri baba explains there's another very beautiful insight which shri baba gives in that you know hmm. the second line in that goes te gnyanena the guru will give you the gnana that's what it means that's what is the general meaning Import, te huh? gnyanena the one who comes in gives you the knowledge so then shirdi baba asks this devotee can there be any other word other than gnana in that place hmm. because the in sandhi it becomes te gnanena hmm. and it is often split as te gnanena so then shirdi baba asks him can there be anything else other than gnana over there and still the word remains the same hmm. okay. okay i also don't know this right? and the devotee is wondering what is there so he says the only other word can be is agnana because te gnanena and te agnanena the sandhi is the same sandhi is the same huh. so he says it can be only then Shirdi Baba asked him, does that make sense? So he says, no, Jnanena only. Direct opposite. Yeah, it's just the opposite. You know, it should be Jnanena only. Then Shirdi Baba explains very beautifully. He says, see, you are already the wisdom. You are already that all-knowing one. So knowledge can never be given to you. So what the Guru gives you is only the knowledge of what is untrue. Mm. So he says the Guru gives you only the knowledge of the Ajnana because Jnana you already know. Wow, <laughs> it is fantastic. You know, it's a very beautiful thing and, and that is the wonderful thing which we are seeing in the Ramayana and that is why Ramayana is so relatable in day-to-day life. Beautiful. So now we are in the forest and Rama is 
ready with the arrows in the quiver and the bow in his hand the kodanda and he is apparently in a dilemma now because he is hearing the roaring the cry of tataki and he has to face her and at that point he is asking vishwamitra why are you asking me to kill a woman when you know that it is a sin to kill a woman is it not wrong on my part to do so and before we go into what vishwamitra tells rama as per the ramkatha rasavahini why not listen to this beautiful discussion as narrated by swami himself sure let's play that small clip i think again it's from the 1996 Samukos, where Swami spoke about the Ramayana. Okay. Sri Rama. Sri Rama. Goppa Rachasi Untunari. There's a very big demon there. The name is Tataki. The name is Tataki. This Tataki is a demon. The Tataki is a demon. The Tataki is a demon. He is so powerful, so strong as that of 100 elephants. Alanti Balamunna 20 is a Tataki. You have to kill such. Tachana me Ramana Chippad. Immediately Rama said, Swamiji. Swamiji. Sri Vada Chaitama. Am I to kill a woman? Idi nen angikarinchanunna. I don't accept. Appudu Vishwamitrudu cheppadu. Then Vishwamitra Loka kantakulainatunti vaaru evaraina sariye champatamlo tappu ledu annadu. Anyone who harms this world deserves to be killed. That's all no mistake. Appudu Ramulu cheptunnadu. Then Rama started telling. Stree sambandhamaintanti vishayamlo nenu praveshinchanu. I don't resort to this action. I don't follow you. Verachinavani ధర్మముకాదుక్షన్ to kill anybody who is fear stricken the one who lost all the courage the one who is deep sleep the one who is intoxicated the one who prays for you want me to proceed in an unrighteous way i don't accept this rama you sarvagudu sarva dharma swarupudu rama you are all knowing lokamulaku aneka ikkattu kaliginchi కంటక స్వరూపులై ప్రవర్తించేటువంటి యొక్క స్త్రీలైన కూడా నువ్వు వధించవచ్చును వీర్యో మగ ఆడ అనేటువంటి యొక్క లింగ భేదములు లేదు రాక్షసులు రాక్షసులే ఇట్స్ రైట్ టు కిల్ ఎనీబడి నో మ్యాటర్ ఏ వుమన్ ఆర్ ఏ మ్యాన్ బికాస్ దే వుడ్ పుట్ ది హోల్ వరల్డ్ టు సఫరింగ్ అప్పుడు రాముడు విశ్వామిత్ర ఈ విధంగా స్త్రీలను సంహరించినటువంటి వారు ఎవరైనా ఉన్నారా దెన్ రామా సెడ్ విశ్వామిత్ర ఆర్ ఎనీబడి హూ కిల్ విమెన్ లైక్ ఏమిటి రామా అందరూ ఉన్నారు చాలా మంది he said rama there are lots of people prahladini kumarudainatunte vaadu virochanadu virochana is the son of prahlada ee virojaniki oka bidda undeetuntedi virochana is a daughter aamene mandhara she is mandhara ee mandhara lokamuku chemamulaku aneka adankulu kaliginchitu vacheetuntedi she was responsible for many of the obstacles maa kathinamainatunte rakshasakrutyam lopala praveshinchi loka chemanni nasam chestu vachindi she resorted to all demonic actions అప్పుడు ఇంద్రుడే ఈ యొక్క మందరను సంహరించాడు ఇట్స్ ఓన్లీ ఇంద్రాహు కిల్డ్ హర్ అప్పుడు ఇంద్రుడు కూడా చెప్పాడు స్త్రీ పురుష భావము భేదము లేకుండా రాక్షస కృత్యములు చేస్తున్నది కనుకనే ఈమెను చంపటం న్యాయం కా న్యాయమేను ఉన్నాడు ఇట్ వాజ్ ఇంద్ర సెట్ ఐఎమ్ జస్టిఫైడ్ ఇన్ కిల్లింగ్ నో మ్యాటర్ షీ ఇస్ ఎ వుమన్ అదే విధంగానే లైక్ వాయిస్ భారద్వాజ పత్తి మహాక్రూరమైనటువంటి యొక్క మార్గంలో ప్రవేశించి అనేక విధమైనటువంటి దేశ సంక్షేమానికి విరుద్ధమైనటువంటి కార్యంలో నడుస్తూ వచ్చింది వైఫ్ భర్ధ్వాజ్ ఆల్సో యాక్టెడ్ అగెన్స్ట్ ద నామ్స్ ఆఫ్ సొసైటీ 
అప్పుడు విష్ణువే ఆమెను సంహరించాడు విష్ణు కిల్డ్ ఈ విధమైన విషయములంతా విని నిజమే లోకానికి అపకారం చేసేటువంటి వారిని సంహరించడంలో తప్పు లేదు లోక క్షేమాన్ని కోరి లోక ధర్మాన్ని ఆశించి సత్య ధర్మములు ప్రకారము జీవించేటువంటి స్త్రీలను మాత్రం చంపకూడదు లోక కంఠములైనటువంటి యొక్క స్త్రీలను చంపవచ్చునని నిర్ణయించుకున్నాడు రాముడు రామాడిసైడ్ంగానే సంభాషణ ఒక భయంకరమైన శబ్దం వచ్చింది యాజ్ ది కాన్వర్సేషన్ గోయింగ్ ఆన్ దర్డ్ లౌడ్ సౌండ్ ఎక్కడ ఈ భయంకరమైన శబ్దం అంటే ఈ తాటకే ద సౌండ్ స్పీక్స్ ఆఫ్ ద అరైవల్ ఆఫ్ తాటకే వచ్చి రాళ్ల వర్షం కురిపించింది రెయిన్ ఆఫ్ స్టోన్స్ లక్ష్మణుడు అమ్ములు వేశాడు లక్ష్మణ షార్ట్ ఆరో ఆ వర్షం నిలిచిపోయింది అండ్ రెయిన్ స్టాప్ మరి అగ్ని వర్షం కురిపించింది అండ్ ఇది రెయిన్ ఆఫ్ ఫైర్ రక్త వర్షం కురిపించింది రెయిన్ ఆఫ్ బ్లడ్ ఈ అన్నింటికి కూడా రాముని కూడా ఎదుర్కొంటూ వచ్చాడు రామా కుడ్ ఫేస్ అప్పుడు ఈ రోగ కంటకురాలనేటువంటి యొక్క తత్వము చక్కగా రాములకు అర్థమైంది దెన్ రామా కుడ్ అండర్స్టాండ్ దెమోనిక్ క్వాలిటీ ఆఫ్ తాటకే so many other details in that clip which was not there in the ramakatha swayam but you no know, this is again a feature which you would see in the ramayana and in the mahabharata where i think in one or two places in the mahabharata to krishna when he asks the pandavas to do a certain thing they ask is this not right and then he will quote examples from the past and the puranas where it has happened before and when the purpose is dharmic it justifies the means it brings us back to the discussion which you had before exactly i remember one instance you know it is during the bhagavad gita sermon mm-hmm. that is when uh, krishna tells arjuna that you know the realized people are pure they are like pure water mm-hmm. but they live in the world the evil is like the mud okay. so when it gets together the good and bad get together the world appears to be a dirty place because it becomes slushy and he says the sunlight is wisdom and in that wisdom if all the pure people just you know what happens to water it evaporates pure right. water evaporates he said if all the pure people are just thinking that after all everything is maya and everything is one divine so what is the need for any action if that is the way they think and go he says the water will evaporate but what happens it becomes muddy and the mud remains there water has to wash the mud away and therefore the wise people have to act it is not enough that you think of your own liberation this knowledge is liberating but it is not enough if you think of your own liberation you have to when god himself you know krishna says i have no duties in the world and yet the lord incarnates and comes why because there is some purpose which we will realize possibly as we walk the path <laughs> because we are you know merely speaking theory maybe when we walk the path we realize because each and every realized soul invariably has worked for the world actually it is almost like you know the incentive to become realized is you get totally detached from the world and you have nothing to do with the world that's like a strong incentive because you get so frustrated with the world as life goes on whether it's your relationship your career your wealth every way you get frustrated and it seems like a strong incentive you know get self realized lose all connection with the world and then you see that any person who is self realized comes and dives deep back into the world so there is some some secret here definitely which i think we will realize only when we become realized but this much is definitely true that it is not enough it is selfishness if you think only of your liberation you have to think about the others and that is why arjuna get up and fight that is what krishna says you know when you talk about uh, the state of being selfless you call it the state of having vairagya and uh, in fact uh, one of the things which the ramayana teaches maybe sometime when we come to that part we'll come to that it says that there are two ways you can get that detachment or vairagya that one is through virakti or disillusionment you know which is 
yeah, disgust. You just bored of the things happening around you, bugged with the things, and you just want to get away from it. That happens most. <laughs> and that vairagya, which comes from that virakti, is very instantaneous and spontaneous, but very limited in time. Hmm. And all the vairagya which we speak of, you know, there are so many types of vairagya. They all come from that virakti. That's mashana vairagya and the vairagya which comes in the moment of pregnancy and all that. Hmm. When there is a feeling of disgust, you want to get away from it. That vairagya. But it is said that vairagya should come from trupti, which is satisfaction. Contentment. Contentment. When you come to a state where I don't need this world to be happy. You know, I am self-fulfilled. And that vairagya which comes from there is long-lasting, eternal and it can never be taken away from you. So just rephrasing what you said, the vairagya or detachment you get by saying, you know, this world is such a painful thing. There is so much of pain. There is so much of this. If I don't disconnect myself from the world, I am gone. That is not a positive kind of detachment. But on the other hand, the detachment that we should imbibe is that the world has its whatever plus and minus. It doesn't matter because I am beyond the world. I am self-fulfilled. Nothing can take away my peace and joy. And therefore, if I have to go back to the world, if I have to go into the world also, it does not matter because my peace is my peace and nothing and nobody can ever touch it. So that kind of detachment is the positive kind which we need to imbibe. Right. The first one invariably leads to indifference. I think a lot of people have that when hurt in life, you just go ahead, you say that, no, I'm going to lead my life not being bothered about anybody else. Mm. That comes from virakti, which is a kind of indifference. You Mm. cannot call that detachment. But detachment is when you do absolutely without any expectation of people should get back to you. You know, that life is actually filled with joy. That's what we saw in Swami. You know, Swami did selflessly, but he was always... You could never tell Swami with joy. Joy, I mean, we saw it. And being students, you know, we were not very intelligent, I would say, at least for myself. But Mm. some things were very obvious. On the days when Swami would go out and give Padnamaskar for a 50-100 people, you could see that joy brimming on his face. Mm. If he was really selfless, where did that joy come from? You know, why doing something should give him happiness? Because, you know, he was always happy and it did not mean anything, but he just reflected the joy of those people to whom he gave joy. He was just beyond that, you know, that's the greatest inspiration and people used to tell that, you know, what, you're going to become a sannyasi, you're going to stay in Sai Baba Ashram, what are you going to do? The thing which we would like to tell them is you have no idea what fun it is to live life with Swami because Swami is full of fun. Swami is full of joy. Exactly. So, coming back to what Vishwamitra was telling Rama, one other point that, say, Vishwamitra makes is that you are actually showering compassion on Tataki by killing her. You know, when I read this statement, I was reminded of that scene when, you know, Lord Krishna gives Vishwarupa Darshan in the Kaurava court when Duryodhana foolishly tries to catch him. Right. Krishna knows that it is inevitable that the war has to happen and yet, being the Lord, being the embodiment of Dharma, he puts in an effort to try to avert the war. And that doesn't happen. On the other hand, Duryodhana tries to capture him. And then he is blinded by the form, the radiant cosmic form of the Lord. After which Krishna says that, you know, it's all over now. You have been foolish. You will see that this whole dynasty will go to pieces because of the foolishness and you are not able to avoid the war. That is when you know, Gandhari, the mother of the Kauravas, meets Krishna and she apologizes. She okay. says, Lord, please accept my apologies on behalf of my son. You know, he's done some mistakes, so please, please, I am apologizing to you. It's so beautiful, you know, Krishna tells to mother Gandhari, he says, don't apologize to me. If at all anybody needs apologies, that is your children, go and apologize to them. Because you have not brought them up properly. You have not brought them up, so therefore you apologize to them. Don't apologize to me. So, seeing that this line of reasoning is not working out with Lord Krishna, she says, Lord, 
you are the supreme lord you are the master of the universe i'm praying to you have compassion on my son you know because duryodhana she knows that if the lord takes her duryodhana is bound to die krishna's reply is really worth so much of our you know thought we can think so deeply on what krishna says krishna says mother i'm showering my compassion on duryodhana and therefore i'm going to kill him <laughs> that is what he says that it is my compassion that he is going to get destroyed otherwise you know we can now build on our own discussion this is the statement that krishna tells to gandhari that even the destruction of duryodhana is actually my compassion to so the lord's compassion is on all equally to some it manifests as victory to some as destruction you know it is almost as if worldly love is only about pleasing the body and the mind but the divine love the divine compassion is about the uplift of the soul it doesn't bother if the mind and the body are apparently put to pain at the cost of the soul advancing divine love is always about the soul getting elevated and advancing towards its ultimate goal of oneness with god and therefore divine love sometimes appears cruel and that is what we have in a sense come to swami for you know that he should show that kind of compassion you don't want to live a life in front of swami where he says that do whatever you want it is when he corrects you in your wrong it is when he pulls you up and says that no don't do it this way there's a sense of belonging in that and that compassion is what protected us and we've seen that you know many people have gone through that phase with swami where invariably every time swami would see them you know there would be a shower of uh, scoldings for them we've always seen that but there has always been the kind of belonging in that where swami says that you are mine i have every right to correct you exactly and in fact i remember many people feel very happy and proud to be scolded by swami because there is all so this statement that when god loves you extra specially when swami loves you extra specially then only will he scold you because he feels your mind you know when guests come at home and anything goes wrong the mother scolds the children only she will never scold the guests though the fault might be on the side of the guests so when the children get scolded they should feel happy that we you know are being considered as one of the home so I remember on many occasions I received more scoldings the, uh, the father discipline part of swami more than the mother love during the initial years mm-hmm. and therefore every time when it used to happen my teachers or some of my seniors would lovingly tell me this saying that don't feel bad when swami scolds you it is great love of swami and that is what used to keep me afloat and keep me alive with hope and later on during the later years I realized that it is absolutely true it is absolutely true that even his anger and his scolding is nothing but is same pure love in fact that is why swami would often refer to it as kopa prasadam kopa prasadam this, <laughs> <laughs> this is the prasadam of anger which is definitely for your protection in fact uh, one of the seniors very elderly devotees was saying that these people who were administrators of the ashram you know those uh, secretaries of those days they had to go and report to swami every day hmm. and there were days when they would go up to swami and they would have finished their reporting it's just before swami retires for the day and they would just be standing there swami said you told me everything you can go and they would say swami you are not shouted at us Oh, so you have not given us the prasadam of your scolding and Swami said why should I simply scold you when you have not done anything wrong why should I scold you he said no Swami the work you have given us empowers us to go and do some things which are sometimes rude so we might impose our ego and we might do mistakes it is your scolding and it is your correction is what saves us so we really need that hmm. that is the kind of anger which swami gave there are few other arguments which vishwamitra gives rama i think what we should do is go into them one by one as i said that is the specialty of ramakatha swami even this one particular point where swami is explaining why vishwamitra asked rama to kill tatik there are so many arguments which are each one very important for our life 
to be able to make the right decisions in life. But maybe before we go into that, we'll just go for a short break, play a little song. On the other side of the song, dear listeners, we'll continue what Vishwamitra told Rama in support of killing Tati. Rasane pibare ramarasam 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 Rasane pibare sai ramarasam Duri krita pataka samsadam Rasane pibare ramarasam Rasane pibare Ashamakitam Sutta Paramakam Ashamakitam Sutta Paramakam 
I was thinking possibly violence is a sin or telling the untruth is a sin but it becomes difficult to classify which sin is worse and which sin is good you know because all sins appear as sins right so I was having a tough time trying to classify then this teacher actually told me something he said I'll tell you something helpful he said actually there are no multiple sins there is only one sin mm-hmm. and so there is nothing like is this more sinful or less sinful if that sin is not there there is no sin there is only one sin what is that so this became very tough is untruth the only sin is violence the only sin I was going on thinking but you know there are examples of everything in the Ramayana and Mahabharata especially in the Mahabharata where anything that you think as a sin has actually been used by the Lord you know whether it is telling lies or whether it is killing somebody whether it is deception all these Lord Krishna apparently himself indulges in right so now what do you do that is when you know this beautiful point sir made which I can never forget he said there is only one sin and that is the sin of ignorance <laughs> in ignorance ignorance means false body attachment where you wrongly identify yourself where you are not aware of your reality in short that is ignorance and in ignorance anything you do is a sin actually because that is why you have karma you are bound by what you do in fact you know that is uh, one of the arguments that Lord Krishna gives to Bhishma mm-hmm. when Bhishma asks Krishna what have I done wrong I have just been bound by my dharma and I am doing everything then Krishna says oh grandsire dharma is supposed to be liberating how can you say dharma has bound you there itself it shows that something is wrong something is alright dharma cannot bind you dharma liberates you it is karma that binds you <laughs> so karma is action that is done in ignorance and dharma is action that is done with the realization of the knowledge with wisdom when it is done so therefore anything done in ignorance becomes a sin and therefore the only sin on earth is ignorance therefore there is nothing like a sin when violence is done by a self realized person or by God it is not a sin because it is always done with the knowledge of the universal oneness and therefore in this case also killing Tataki is not a sin because Rama you are that supreme being and you know it I don't know why are you even asking this question. That is what Vishwamitra tells Rama. Talking about this ignorance being the only sin. In one of the discourses, Swami mm. says this, you know, you have been put into the prison of life. Mm. You have been put into this prison called the human body because of three sins that you have done. Mm. There are only three mistakes you can do and those three are to think that you are the body. The second thing is to think that so and so belongs to me and so and so does not belong to me. That mm. mine and not mine, nothing. And the third one is to think that you are the doer. Mm. He says, as long as you keep doing these three mistakes, you will be shifted from one jail to the other but you will not be freed and all these three can be grouped under a single word single word ignorance. ignorance right and that is why Swami is this argument which he is saying that you know violence is not sin the context in which that violence is done the reason for which it is done is it done for a selfish purpose it is done to harm somebody or is it done to protect somebody that is what he is saying I mean, and when we say selfless here therefore it is important to realize that a person can be truly selfless only if he is self-realized right no other person can be selfless and that you know knocks out the doubt that I only raised about Taliban fighters doing dharma by actually carrying out bombings and terrorist activities. So, none of that is actually selfless because it is looking for some reward in some afterlife and the only measure of selflessness of a person is self-realization. If not self-realized, then it cannot be selfless. You are talking about uh, how do you group terrorist activities which are done in the name of religion. That is one more argument which Vishwamitra gives here. He says, the Brahmins, the virtuous and the cows, these are important and anything which is done to protect these cannot be a sin. I mean, let us put it in context because when you say the Brahmins, the cows, it doesn't mean literally them. 
the brahmins right. is one as we defined during the last night of ramayana is one who is in quest of the brahman right a person who is seeking the meaning of life in the sense seeking oneness with god that person is a brahmin and anything that is done to promote that because that is the only objective of life right <laughs> and therefore that is what is meant by protecting brahmin and when you talk of cows this swami has told many times in discourses whenever you say cows it means nature hmm. because that which gives selflessly that which nourishes itself and and those around you know that is represented by the cow and that is why nature is and so anything which is done in order to protect the society protect nature protect those who are after the ultimate wisdom and those who are living a virtuous life that's why he's saying those who are virtuous those who are living a dharmic life may not even be a selfless life hmm. even those who are leading a normal life in society accordance. in accordance with the morals of the society even they have to be protected and that is why you know when you talk of anything which is related to terrorism or anything which is extremism you're talking about innocent lives being lost hmm. so that itself breaks all arguments which is for them for them exactly and we were speaking about you know vishwamitra asking rama that why on earth are you asking all this because you know that this is what it is and swami beautifully writes in the ramakatha rasavahini that rama says oh guru vishwamitra forgive me you know it is just in order to you know elicit the answers from you that i spoke thus i have no doubt in fact my father when he sent me along with you gave me the command obey whatever vishwamitra says obey the sage vishwamitra and therefore i have no doubts when you say kill tataki i have to kill tataki it is just in order to elicit all the wisdom out of you that i asked you that question i have no doubts i have no qualms about killing tataki just because she is a woman i shall go ahead and proceed as you command and this is the beauty of the ramakatha swami where swami is absolutely consistent with his stand you know we spoke of this even when we spoke about the yoga vasishta hmm. where the picture which swami gave of rama is the one who did not need that yoga vasishta did not need that you know, exposition which vasishta was there to give but he took it as an opportunity to draw it out from him for the benefit of mankind exactly and you know where he, he pretended to be confused he pretended to be somebody who needs counseling and then brought forth that wonderful piece of literature called yoga vasishta and the same thing here where at the end of all this he says that you know i don't need this explanation at all because at the very pl- first place i would have just done what you asked me to do because my father has commanded me to just follow you and of course that which is said between the lines is i know what i'm doing <laughs> you know i have no doubt i have come here for that but he's saying that i wanted to see how well you have grasped the nuances of dharma and in fact as we see what happens next maybe we'll describe what happens next because this also brings out one more point in argument that there's no harm in killing tataki what happens next is rama picks up the bow and twangs the string string and that sound they say is so loud that the whole forest reverberates and tataki is enraged who is this who is coming and creating such a ruckus in my territory and she begins to charge towards these two young princes in all her fury and rage and it is one huge ugly ball an ungainly sight you know i think this is again symbolic of how ugly evil is how ugly hatred is how ugly fear is fear hatred evil are all very ugly and therefore tataki is represented as a very ugly being and she rushes forward towards rama and rama first cuts off her arms cuts off her legs and even as she collapses she changes her form and becomes another terrible beast and that beast now charges towards rama and again rama cuts off the limbs of those beasts and again she changes form and takes on the form of another beast and this way the battle goes on and on for hours 
Now when we read the description of the battle, the question comes, is Tataki a woman or is Tataki a beast? Because she's changing forms. That is where you realize that it is evil that has to be annihilated irrespective of what form it appears in. Whether it is in the form of an animal, in the form of a woman or in any, any other form. So the root here is about rooting out evil and not about the external appearance. And that is how the battle goes on. You see this happening so frequently. Vishwamitra apparently shifting from wisdom to ignorance to wisdom to ignorance. He says, Rama, at night the demons become extra powerful. You finish her off right away now. And the other thing is, you know, whenever Swami speaks about the plight of modern man, he would say this, man today is only Akara Manavudu. He is only man in form. Hmm. And that does not entitle you to all the benefits of being a man. When Swami, we spoke about Manushatva being a boon. It is being grossly unfair to the boon which is given to you. And that's exactly when you talk about womanhood. You're saying that a woman cannot be annihilated. Tataki represented anything but that sanctity of womanhood. Yes. You know, the word which is used for a woman in Sanskrit is Abala. The one who is without strength. But actually the inner meaning of that is one who does not depend on the physical strength. That is why it's called Abala. The one who hmm. does not depend on her physical strength but inner strength. Hmm. And that is why in no definition Tataki actually was a woman. And that was one more reason why Rama was absolutely justified in killing. And the other thing which uh, Vishwamitra says is the more you allow her to you know live the more you are allowing her to sin. Hmm. And again he says that is a mistake which you are doing. That so you I seek forgiveness because I think I made a wrong harsh judgment thinking that in ignorance Vishwamitra says killer fast you know if it becomes night it becomes. He says that also that also he says that you know after the nightfall they become more strong. And the other thing is he's saying that you are just allowing her to accumulate her sin which hmm. is not something you are doing good for her. And then Rama therefore puts an arrow and shoots it directly at her chest and with a huge terrible wail she falls and this and Swami writes as to how huge a crater is formed where she falls and Tataki falls dead and immediately there is serenity and peace and the celestial flowers fall from the heavens in celebration of Rama's victory over evil and Vishwamitra is so pleased he's so thrilled and you know this is another beautiful thing about self-realized souls they know they know destiny and yet they are able to celebrate when the destiny comes forth Vishwamitra knew right from the beginning that Tataki is going to die and yet at the same time he indulges in celebrations when Rama actually kills Tataki. And the other thing is you know this very fact that Rama is not killing us right away. All the arguments are given you know the case has been absolutely undubitably sealed in favor of killing Tataki but still he is there to give her a chance. Hmm. You know, Swami writes that first he removes her limbs it again shows that even when you are out there to punish, even then if you can give a small chance and there is a chance of repentance, there is a chance of reconciliation, I think you should go for that. That's another point which is brought out because, you know, Rama is agreeing, yes, she has to be killed, I have no doubt about that, but still he is dilly-dallying with the, you know, killing of Tati. The same thing in the Mahabharata too. I mean, Krishna knows it's inevitable and yet he himself goes with a peace proposal saying that just give five villages for dharma, that's enough. What that beautiful episode shows, I feel, is when Krishna is saying give five villages that's enough for the Pandavas we often think that dharma fears and shudders at the sight of adharma I mean, it happens because we consider ourselves to be dharmic and we think of the cruelty around and we are scared of cruelty. It's actually the other way around. Dharmo rakshati rakshitaha. Dharma protects those who protect dharma. And when you have really lived a life like that, adharma shudders. That is why Duryodhana says that forget five villages, I will not give even that much land which can be covered by a needle point. <laughs> because adharma is mortally scared of dharma. It knows that even if that much, forget dharma of 
of five villages dharma as much as can exist on a pin point of land is enough to unearth is enough to throw adharma out it's actually adharma that is mortally scared of dharma rather than the other way around which we think because of our faulty understanding of dharma i'm reminded of a small incident which my father had shared a very long time ago this is about a lady who had become very saintly and you know the, the type which we often refer to as avaduta mm. you know never had a place to stay she was just used to roam around and people had recognized her as a saint mm. but she never bothered about her you know what clothes she wore what she ate she used to be lying on the road and the people who used to worship her used to come and cover her with some blanket or something to protect her from the cold give her some food that's how careless she was about her own body and the needs of the body my father would say this, that one day she went up to a tea stall and she pleaded with that guy to give her a cup of tea you know the shopkeeper he said Hey, give me a cup of tea please give me a cup of tea please give me a cup of tea and apparently this shopkeeper felt that this lady is just mad and she is pretending to be wise you know, he was not one of those who bought the idea that she was saintly so instead of giving her whatever she asked for or even politely refusing it seems he just took some garbage and threw it on her okay and just then two other people who worshipped this lady and revered her for her saintliness came that way and they shouted at this man who you know treated her badly and take this lady away and they just took her about 100 200 meters away from the shop and the cylinder in the shop burst and that whole shop was up in flames hmm. okay and then uh, the people who were with that lady thought that maybe she cursed that man so badly that she went up in flames so they were a bit uh, you know scared when they looked at this lady she said i wanted to take that away but he didn't want to give it you know that is what those pious people come and do when they say that they give you that last opportunity to at least you need help i am giving you this chance just do something good i will give you that help you know that's what krishna did you've sinned all this while you've been so unfair you've been so adharmic i'm giving you a small chance now give those five villages even now i'll make sure that ruin does not befall you yeah that's what so you know i feel krishna went for that deal because if duryodhana had yielded there it was a far greater victory in the deeper sense on the face of it he is giving away five villages but in the deeper sense duryodhana is accepting what he has done as wrong and coming under dharma right. and once that happens it doesn't matter whether duryodhana rules or whether yudhishthira rules because as long as dharma rules it is enough that is what was i think the idea behind krishna going there but duryodhana's refusal or even the refusal of that shopkeeper to do this shows how adharma actually repels dharma away that's why swami says vinashakale vipurita buddhi well once this happens in gratitude vishwamitra offers rama all the weapons that he has accumulated as a result of his merit they are all unused till date and therefore swami writes that he offers many astras or missiles right and i'll just name the missiles sure he says the danda chakra the dharma chakra the kala chakra the names are very interesting in themselves danda chakra the chakra or wheel that punishes the dharma chakra the wheel of dharma the kala chakra the wheel of time the indrastra indra weapon indra missile the vajrastra the trishula the brahmashirastra the aishikastra and the brahmastra apart from that he gives rama also two powerful maces modaka and shikara and there are so many other you know agneyastra others which i am mentioning this with a reason here he says agneyastra i will give you after we reach the hermitage because you know i have kept it there the <laughs> agni missile and uh, some missiles other than agni missile also which vishwamitra promises to hand over to rama once they reach his hermitage and at siddhashrama that is where the 
actual main yagna is going to take place for which protection is being sought from the two princes it's a very significant event which swami mentions in the passing where you know vishwamitra comes and offers it all to rama and says i don't have to do anything with it anymore and if you look at vishwamitra's past we've spoken about it how so many times he just gives away the fruit of his penance hmm. for people and it's almost like he has practiced giving it all away and so when he finally comes face to face with rama is almost like waiting for this moment when he just takes everything and just offers it to rama and says i have nothing to do with this anymore you can just take everything that final offering becomes so effortless for Vishwamitra hmm. and it is almost like his whole life was being played out in preparation for this i mean it's such a powerful scene the man who had all this you know calls <laughs> rama to protect his yagna and then he offers it all to him exactly and when he offers these uh, missiles to rama again you know one aspect is he having all this offers it to rama the other aspect is rama being who rama is has the humility to accept all these why does rama need all these but that is the beauty you know of a self realized person and of god if at all there is any difference i don't think there is any different between a self realized person and god but the difference is what we spoke during the previous fortnight about maya that they know everything and yet they behave as if they know nothing they are very humble humility is an aspect of divinity divinity which is all powerful and all strength yet is very humble it just teaches us how much more humble we should be when we do not even embody a spark of that power and that strength when we are still pilgrims on that path another thing is that you know when these missiles are given swami often speaks about mantra and tantra mm-hmm. he says modern day everything is about tantra about machinery machinery right here all the things that tantra accomplishes today in those days mantra would accomplish it and what were the astras that we spoke about uh, the way they are shown in the epics the way they are depicted in paintings and the way they are shown even in televised serials they are just arrows what makes them so powerful is the mantra that charges them you know it is like saying if you take say a liter of petrol it's a fuel mm-hmm. it's a fuel that can power possibly a car for 8 kilometers that's mm-hmm. all a liter of petrol but if you are able to shatter the atoms of present in that 1 liter of petrol in an atomic reactor the amount of energy that will release from that would be sufficient to power the whole world for several days that is the amount of energy latent in it so what is it it is the way it is used in one hand when you use it in the car it can give you energy only enough to travel 10 kilometers mm-hmm. but if you are able to use it to shatter its atoms and release energy it can provide sufficient energy to power the whole earth so it depends on how it is used therefore these missiles also are nothing but normal arrows but when used with the proper mantra they are able to achieve devastating effects very powerful effects you know when swami says what is being achieved by tantra these days was achieved by mantra in those days and so when we say that vishwamitra gave rama these astras it is not as if he handed over arrows to rama but he gave him the knowledge and the mantras that are needed to invoke these astras and the other thing which uh, which swami says in this part of the story is even as each mantra is taught that deity which embodies or that the deity which is in control of that astra appears there and offers obeisance to rama exactly you know it is in general it is said that there is a, a ruling deity for each astra and you request that deity for this power and that deity blesses you with that power you know that's how it is supposed to be but the way swami writes it he says even as each astra is handed over to rama and that mantra is taught to him rama does not bow to the deity right the deity appears there and is delighted and offers 
obeisance to Rama. It's like that Sahasrachanda Darshanam means it is said that once you cross 82 years of your life, you would have seen a thousand full moons. Mm-hmm. So that is called Sahasrachandra Darshanam. So it is said that a person has had the blessing of having witnessed thousand moons. But when it was done for Swami, it was said that thousand moons have had the privilege of seeing Swami and therefore we are celebrating it. So with the divine, it always becomes the other way around. Right. You know why I brought up this point of the mantra being the missile and not the actual arrow? Mm-hmm. is because suddenly, you know, at this point when you realize these mantras, the previous statement doesn't seem to make sense. What does Vishwamitra mean by saying the other astras are at the hermitage? I'll give right. it to you there. Okay. I mean, if it's just the knowledge of the mantra, you can't keep the knowledge in the hermitage and come, right? Mm-hmm. But reading the Ramayana, I realized this subtle point. I know I'm little jumping the gun, okay. but it is so beautiful, I must bring it out now. Because while protecting Siddhashrama when Rama battles the Rakshasas, Swami writes that Rama makes use of the Agneyastra. Mm-hmm. How does Rama use the Agneyastra when it has not yet been given to him by Vishwamitra? Because Vishwamitra clearly says, I shall give it to you later. You know, that is where I feel there is that subtle magic that Swami's writing conveys that we should study this to in order to unearth it. That in itself proved to me that Rama actually did not need this wisdom, this knowledge from Vishwamitra. He already had it. And I feel it is for this purpose that Swami purposely reserved. You know, Vishwamitra also purposely reserved this knowledge and told Rama that I will give you Agniyastra afterwards. In fact, after Rama and Lakshmana protect the Siddhashrama and they are on their way to Sita Swayamvara. Mm-hmm. In the Valmiki Ramayana, that is when Vishwamitra transfers the remaining Astras to Rama. Okay. So, at this point in time, Agniyastra has not yet been given to Rama mm-hmm. and yet Rama uses, makes use of this very missile to destroy the demons, to vanquish the demons. Which shows that in the first place, Rama has no need of all this, which reminds the reader that this is a beautiful drama in progress so that you can enjoy. But all the while, please keep in mind that Rama is the supreme being. Just like in our life too, we should enjoy everything that happens as the beautiful divine drama of our divine Swami, of our beautiful Swami. At the same time, keep that in our mind always who Swami is, Swami's reality, that He is the supreme divine and we are blessed to know Him. And that is exactly why this Ramayana, Ramakatha Raswani, has written by Swami, is very special. Because as we have mentioned it, even in the in the prelude to the whole story, where we said, this is how God looks at his story. Mm-hmm. Now, we spoke of how Valmiki was a contemporary. The later authors like Kamba and Tulsidas were people who looked up to Rama as God and wrote the story. But this was how God saw his story and wrote it. Because, you know, there is the excitement of the play. The suspense and the excitement is still intact. But there is a kind of calm, all-knowing entity to it or you know flavor to it all knowing calm to it yeah right mm. it's like yes it's happening yes you know there's a description of Tataki she's coming like that and she's as terrible as this as fierce as this but still there is an underlying calmness in the whole narrative which you know that the whole thing is under control because Lord Rama is there exactly we are speaking of the underlying calm now once Tataki has been killed that is what happens a calm descends as Rama Lakshmana and Vishwamitra arrive at the Siddhashrama so as the trio arrive at Siddhashrama. What happens at Siddhashrama I think is such a long and another magnificent episode and the clock in our studio I think Prem is telling us that we cannot go into Siddhashrama details today. And maybe we can just leave the listeners with what Siddhashrama is. That is the venue of the Yajna to put it that way and that is the place where Vishwamitra is residing with all his disciples and that is where they are heading right now. And that is a place where they have been attempting to conduct this Yajna and they have been unsuccessful so far because every time they start the Yajna the demons and ogres 
workers are coming and disrupting the yagna and this yagna that they are doing is for the benefit of the whole world and again is symbolic to show how evil forces come to disrupt anything that is good for everyone because evil can thrive only in an environment where somebody at least is disgruntled and unhappy if everyone is happy and contented evil cannot thrive and therefore this is a symbolism but siddhashrama is that beautiful place where the yagna is to be conducted and the whole thing is also very symbolic you know here there are good intentioned individuals who are trying to do something which swami would say is for loka kalyanam which is for the benefit of the whole world which are these disciples who are trying to do this yagna and when they are being troubled they turn to somebody like vishwamitra who is a guru who is a person who has dedicated himself to the knowledge of the brahman and he will bring down the grace of the lord the lord protects the yagna so it, it's a very beautiful thing where you do your duty the one who is realized will draw the grace of the lord and the lord will protect what you doing that's a beautiful analogy and i think on that note prem we should offer our pranams of gratitude at bhagwan's lotus feet and also thank our dear lord hanuman for sitting with us and enjoying the story of rama we pray to him that we imbibe at least an iota of his devotion to rama towards our sai rama so that we too can sanctify our lives just like how he sanctified his life with that dear listeners we bring this satsang to a close and next week we shall carry on with the ramkatha rasavahini from the siddhashrama we leave you with a small song thank you jai sai ram tamere tilak raja ramana ho tamere tilak raja ramana hame bagdana chand बगड़ाना चंदन काष्ट रे समेरे तिलक राजा राम रामारी मशेमा हमें सोइया केवा केवा दक सजन तमेरे सया कहो ने सजन दख केवा पढ़िया तमेरे तिलक राजा राम तमेरे तिलक राजा राम हो अक्षर करना तोड़ना तमेरे अक्षर करना तोड़ना हमें लज्जवाती पछली रवेश रे हमेरे 
उछेरा घरना तोड़ला लजवाती पछली रवेश रे तमारी मशेना हमें सोइया कहो ने सजन दख के कहो ने सजन दख के तमेरे तिलक राजा रमना हो तमेरे तिलक राजा रामना मेरे तिलक राजा रामना मेरे अक्षर कहीने उकल्या हमें पड़तल मुंझारा जीणी चीपना मेरे अक्षर थईने उकल्या हमें पड़तल मुंझारा जीणी चीपना कमारी मशना में सोइया कहो ने कहो ने दख के कहो ने सजन दख के वापरिया तमेरे तिलक राजा रामना तमेरे तिलक राजा रामना तमेरे तिलक राजा रामना हो You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12:30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia Stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 17th July. 2014 Dear listeners we hope you like this program as always send us your feedback to listener@radiosai.org thank you and loving sairam from prashant nilayam